Hello everyone, this is Kevane the Christian. Uh, tonight we're going to have our first interview uh, with my brother, Jake, who's going to be talking about why he returned to Christianity, what his personal story is, and uh, some thoughts he has on apologetics, theology, and related matters based on his journey. So, Jake, you want to introduce yourself? Yep, I'm uh, Jake. I'm Jacob. And, uh, yeah. So, Jake, could you tell us a bit about your personal faith background, uh, how were you brought up, and uh, before you got into asking questions at a higher level about this stuff, where were you basically at? Well, I was obviously, I was raised in, a, in an evangelical household. Our, my mother is an evangelical, or our mother is an evangelical, uh, uh, our father is a, a deist, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, as a as a young child, I never really kind of questioned what I believed too much. I think just on a um, kind of on a personal level, I can't say like growing up, I ever felt like particularly kind of connected c connected to the uh, to the figure of Christ. I almost felt kind of almost kind of confused by the figure of Christ. I felt the idea of God made much more sense than you know, Christ as God. So I, you know, that was, that's kind of some of my background. Um, when I was, you know, around 13, I got into apologetics and, and, uh, start to get into philosophy. And, um, I, I, I felt like part of me became somewhat disillusioned with certain aspects of apologetics as I got more into it. So yeah. what was it that led you to, uh, well, first of all, would you say, let's say before you got into apologetics, to what extent did Christianity and evangelicalism form an important or a conscious part of your identity, if at all? Um, yeah, I don't know if it, if it, I mean, I would have identified as a Christian and I would have prayed on occasion, but I can't say it was something like I thought about a lot. Um, I can't say I felt... Like I said, I didn't feel a strong connection to the figure of Jesus. Um, and what was it that led you to, um, I guess, take a more active interest in what you mentioned apologetics? Well, I, I think it was, it was, I mean, I think it was the discovery of kind of, I mean, I think it was the discovery of apologetics itself that kind of led me. And how, how did you come to discover that? Well, I, the first, um, I remember you, you showed me a debate between William Lane Craig and Christopher Hitchens. Oh, so that was the... That, that was that it. Was, that yeah. was it. And I think that also led me to my kind of interest in philosophy. And I I felt very intrigued that one could, you know, not just... One didn't just have to take these as a matter of faith, but one could argue for them in a, in a rational manner. And you, had you ever considered before that debate the question of whether you had any reason to believe in Christianity? Because for me... I remember there was a very distinct moment when I realized that Christianity wasn't something that a lot of the world took for granted, and I couldn't really explain why I was taking it for granted. Okay. Would you say you had a similar realization, or would you say you got into apologetics in the discovery of the case for Christianity? I would, I would say the, the latter, really. I mean, I, I think if someone would have pressed me before I discovered apologetics, I would have said something like, uh, well, you know, nature seems to be designed. But that would be pretty much the extent of it. And so when you encountered 
this debate with yeah. Craig and Hitchens. Um, what was your take on it? I mean, I thought it was, you know, I was in some ways, you know, very intrigued. I mean, I thought what was really interesting was that uh, what really intrigued me about the debate was that William Lane Craig was was using, uh, like, for example, he's the Big Bang as evidence for God. So this was, in some sense, not just that what I saw was not just that science and religion were compatible, but that one could actually use science in 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 defense of, of Christianity. I think that's what really intrigued me and really stood out. And so for me, the my introduction to apologetics was really a focus on the New Testament, the historical Jesus, yeah. and there was really a secondary or tertiary interest in the general defense of theism. Would you say it was kind of the other way around for you? Um, I would say, yeah, the general defense of theism took a more primary role, um, but I, I was still, you know, interested in, you know, like I read the case for Christ, and uh, I, I think the same summer I discovered that debate. I read the case for Christ, and you were thirteen. I was thirteen. Point. Yeah, yeah, so I was at I mean, same age that I, I really discovered apologetics, yeah. or really discovered these higher order questions about the truth of Christianity. Um, when would you say uh, you first had? conscious doubts about Christianity was it before this or was it in the midst of this it was before this and I would say what really happened was there were sort of kind of there were doubts that kind of accumulated um, so and, even before you encountered this debate uh, no no I'm sorry uh, post this debate is when kind of doubts really because because in some ways through apologetics I was I was introduced to the kind of the op opposite of mm -hmm. what I believed right yeah and so I would say kind of my doubts began to accumulate uh, until I, you know, I think I found myself one day and I felt like I just didn't believe, right? Is, right. is kind of how it was, or I didn't believe and I really wasn't sure what I believed. Right, right. Um, I think there was also, you know, there was also some interest in, in you could say, other religious traditions. Mm -hmm. And I, I think one thing was, was that Christianity as a system or as as a worldview mm -hmm. at wasn't really holding together uh, you know as a as a, a to make sense of the world right it, it didn't, right. didn't at the time i felt like it didn't make sense of the world right and i think even some of my impression was that it was that the christian worldview was kind of bland in comparison to other other right. worldviews. Right. yeah so i know that that you kind of found yourself not believing in 2013. Yeah. How old were you at that point? I was 15. 15. So in the interim, um, what was your relationship to the various Christian traditions? What, what do you mean? Just evangelicalism, Orthodoxy, Catholicism. Uh, to what degree did that constitute a matter of interest or um, discomfort? Um, what was your active engagement with the Christian community like, and how did that relate to well, your interest in the truth claims of Christianity in general. Well, I think, you know, before my conversion, I, you know, was interested. Convert before your conversion? Yeah. Or, or, what, what do you mean by conversion? Or my deconversion. Okay, okay. Yeah. You know, I was I was attending Orthodox services and things like that. And I, I, I think it almost felt like at that, I mean, there are some people who go through that trajectory where, like, orthodoxy is almost like the pathway to atheism. Right, right. right. It's kind of their last last attempt to make Christianity work. Yeah, and I think that's that's maybe how I felt, like, at the time. Even as you were well, thinking of becoming orthodox? Yeah, well, it was like, I mean, it's it's this was a while ago, so I, right, it's, yeah, it's yeah. hard to, to get into my mindset. I think, um, 
my like evangelical kind of Christianity didn't really make a lot of sense, right? Right. So it kind of felt like these more traditional forms of Christianity, you know, seemed to be a little bit more coherent. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I mean, I think at the time I still had a lot of kind of kind of even kind of a very evangelical mindset. In what sense would you say? I I think it just wasn't uh you know, I okay. Um I think kind of how I was brought up and and kind of the story that I got was that um okay, so the Christian story that I got was that, you know, man is you know, man is a sinner, right? Mm-hmm. And that didn't have a lot of meaning. And essentially it's not an abstraction. Well, kind of like, you know, man is like very naughty or something like right, that. Right, yeah, yeah. And for some reason, you know, because of this man is going to hell. Right. Yeah, not, like that video we yeah, watched. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have to send you to hell. Yeah, yeah. And and okay and then God decides to come down as a man. He says some nice things. He dies and rises and you know, somehow you know, if we acknowledge him and do certain things and avoid other things, you know, then we'll, we'll, you know, what, you know, spend eternity with him. Right. So that was kind of the narrative I had. Right. 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 It was almost very kind of transactional was kind of the, the, my understanding kind of of Christian theology. Yeah. Um, so I felt like, you know, when I deconverted, that was kind of what I had in my head as as Christianity. Right. It was this almost this kind of transactional thing to, you know, avoid a kind of fiery pit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, I want to ask you a question about the point of your deconversion. Yeah. Um, and then circle back around to some of the specific doubts that had been accumulating after that point. So um, to what extent would you say that your deconversion was an emotionally traumatic? Experience. Would you say it was emotionally traumatic? Would you say you had a crisis of faith, which was very stressful, or was it not really as big of a deal? Yeah, I mean, it was traumatic in a way, right? I mean, I think some people, when they deconvert or have a deconversion, they're very like they they feel very attached to Jesus still, mm-hmm. right? Right. They, yeah, I can't say I really felt that, right? Right. I mean, like I said before, I felt like Christ almost didn't make sense kind of growing up. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't traumatic in that way. I think it was it was maybe stressful in the sense of, of not, not being sure of things. Right. Yeah. Were you worried that you were going to go to hell? Was there any yeah, of that? No, yeah. no, there was, yeah. But, you know, I can't say that, I mean, like... I, I was worried about that before I deconverted. So, so you you had a you were kind of spiritually stressed about your own salvation yeah, prior yeah, to that. Yeah, and that was something. How long had you been stressed about your? I don't know, like a couple, several years. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty. It's not an uncommon experience. So, yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the specific questions that you had leading up to um, this. Are you able to to identify what the first major question in your mind was, or the first kind of argument that led you to question was what's the first that you remember at least well remember like i think my favorite argument for the existence of god was the kalam cosmological argument right right um 
And I think I began to have kind of doubts just about that argument, right? Mm -hmm. That that perhaps the argument didn't rest on as solid grounds as I thought it did. Mm -hmm. um, so what, that, what, what what kind of doubts on that? Well, I, you know the if you just look at like cosmology, for example, mm -hmm. I mean it's a changing field, right? And so it seemed like you know you know this idea of the Big Bang being the beginning of the universe was an open question, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess there was also um, questions about the nature of time, right? Uh -huh. So I don't necessarily share this opinion anymore, but at the time it seemed if the B theory of time was true, which was the, which is the kind of the predominant view in, in physics. Which yet, is that time is time, time, time is an illusion essentially, or that and that there's kind, no kind real of, yeah present. yeah that 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 the past, present, and future all equally exist, right? Right. Yeah. And it seemed like if that was true, well, then the Coulomb cosmological argument was faulty, right? Because one could potentially maintain that the universe is eternal. Yeah, right. That, that was that was my thought at the time. Right. Um, was there anyone in particular whom you had encountered who I, had brought these doubts into your mind? I mean, I I'd, I'd watched some criticisms of William Lane Craig. I mean, it seemed like a lot of the arguments like fine-tuning and um, even things like some of the arguments about like let's say the resurrection of, of Christ for mm -hmm. example they seem to be thrown into doubt mm -hmm. so I felt like like since these were thrown into doubt I almost kind of wondered what was the foundation yeah kind yeah. of kind of a, of a faith and I, I guess another thing too is that you know at the time it was almost like the worldview started to collapse. Kind of, my the the worldview I had was not didn't make a lot of sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it seemed, uh, yeah, it it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, and so, you know, like I, as I explained earlier, it was this kind of this, it was almost this kind of transaction, mm -hmm. and that, you know, people don't acknowledge Jesus. You know, they're mm -hmm. going to get thrown into a fiery pit yeah. for all eternity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the, at the time, I think I felt like, uh, Christianity was a little boring. Right. It compared to, you know, compared to, I mean, you could say, um, I don't know, like, like Buddhism or Hinduism or something like that. Okay. They almost, they almost felt more practical than did Christianity. Right. Did, did, have, have, did they have like a broader explanatory... Well, I, I think I think just in terms of practice, they felt more practical. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What What would you say about your spiritual life at this point? Well, what was that like? Immediate or in that? Let's just say, prior to like crisis point. Okay. Like prior to the moment where it looked like, oh my gosh, I might actually be deconverting. Did you have a spiritual life to speak of? I know you were going to church. Yeah. Was there anything beyond that? I mean, I I did prayers. You know, mm -hmm. every I tried to pray most days. Mm -hmm. But I can't say that I really enjoyed praying most days, <laughs> well, or yeah. it didn't, and, and it didn't really feel like anything more than just a kind of a transaction. Had you ever had any kind of anything which you could say was the presence of God or a religious experience prior to this point? I think I think I could, right? I think I, I could say there were times in my life, in my childhood, I felt connected to God. Uh, and but but how old were you? Or if you're willing to talk about uh, when I when I felt those feelings, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean I can't 
pinpoint an age, but mm-hmm. there were just moments I felt like connected. in your young childhood. Yeah, in my young okay. childhood. Yeah, yeah. See, for me, um, I think maybe one of the differences in our stories is, in addition to kind of the standard evangelical upbringing, I had this huge role that the Jesus film played for me in. Um, giving me a very concrete image of the person of Jesus, which no matter how shallow the theology was, that was something to hold on to and to be attached to such that it was a reason to keep hope, you know, holding out for answers. Yeah. Which, you know, if there aren't answers out there, people sometimes say, oh, well, you're just trying to prove something you want to be true, and that may or may not be the case. But it, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, because if you want something to be true that doesn't end up being true you're going to keep searching and you're going to keep making arguments that by the nature of the case are invalid but if what you want to be true happens to be true or have some close relationship with the truth it'll motivate you all the more to uh, find those uh, authentic arguments so the proof is in the pudding as always you know it doesn't matter why you want something or why you're you make you're making an argument or why you're reading x or y book but the question is what kind of argument is actually being produced um so I, th- I think maybe that's 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 a difference between our stories, and you know, and this isn't a comment on you, but I, I I see people, and I don't think you ever did this, but I see people um, who will describe in hindsight this intense trauma that they went through in deconverting, when I know in reality that they had a two week. I mean, that their doubts started two weeks before they deconverted, and I have to say, I just don't believe that they were as desperate for it to be true as they as they say in yeah. hindsight yeah um and you know i can't say like my deconversion I, I certainly was not desperate for it to be true right right yeah yeah so um when you deconverted yeah well, how would you have described yourself religiously theologically philosophically where were you at on questions like the existence of god on materialism would you have said i disbelieve in the historical ideas of Christianity or I'm not sure or somewhere in between let's start with just just gen- most generally where where would you how would you describe yourself at the time I was I was considering the possibility to, that that maybe materialism was, was the case right yeah. that that was a serious possibility in my mind yeah, and yeah. even when I was you know would have considered myself a Christian yeah I thought that materialism still made a sort of intuitive amount of sense yeah yeah so yeah and that's that's, that's true for me um too until uh, seven eight nine years ago yeah so that was so that was uh, i said uh, materialism i thought was was a possibility um i would have said that i wouldn't have ruled out but i, I didn't rule out the possibility of god existing right right um i didn't r- rule out the po- i i would have said i was spiritually interested mm-hmm. right and um you know kind of there i was kind of interested you could say in, in kind of eastern religions kind of broadly speaking mm-hmm. um you know there was some interest in like i guess you could say the new age movement mm-hmm. um at that point there was yeah a little bit okay, yeah. yeah yeah um through what sources you know just the internet or you know they were they were in some ways very novel Kind of kind of ideas, mm-hmm. and what, what specifically, metaphysically speaking, if well, you remember, I think I think, you know, the New Age movement isn't a well-defined movement. Right. It, it's it's essentially a, a plethora of kind of un, 
and um, kind of miscellaneous kind of religious and spiritual ideas, right? Right, yeah. And it seemed to me what was appealing about the New Age is that it offered a, kind of an enchanting view of the world. Yeah. It seemed the impression that I got from a lot of the Christians mm-hmm. that they almost viewed a sort of enchanting kind of vision of the world as almost satanic. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's paganism. Yeah, that's... that's, that's so... It seemed to me that, that uh, you know... The New Age offered this, where Christianity mm-hmm. offered a very bland kind of vision of the world, mm-hmm. where it's this transaction, and yeah. Uh, so, on the question of materialism, why why would you have held that to be intuitively, um, if not likely, but strongly in the realm of possibility? What th- was the logic there? I think I bought into a lot of the rhetoric. Of, of the new atheists mm-hmm. I think they always say well the burden of proof is is on the theist yeah yeah because atheism is simply a lack of belief right yeah I so that's if, if we if we conceptualize the problem that way that that atheism is a lack of belief in, in God yeah, right, yeah then it does seem to have a sort of intuitive you know it makes intuitive sense right yeah, you're just yeah. you're just you know Disbelieving something where there's no evidence. Yeah, for. because we already agree the universe exists. Yeah, the argument yeah. goes. So they, if we don't have evidence for God, well, there's no reason that it's a fifty percent probability. I mean, we don't have evidence for the teapot circling yeah, the earth. Yeah, the argument goes. But there were still some. I mean, even early on, I would say there were some doubts even about this kind of this what that that kind of point, right? Because it seemed to me that about well, the atheist kind of point. Yeah, because they take matter for granted. Right, but but. but there's no they don't offer a definition of matter like what is matter mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so and you you were, were thinking at those, in I, those terms at this point i was thinking yeah yeah that that it, it doesn't seem to be clear what matter is and that well i guess my thought at the time was that maybe the categories of natural supernatural mm-hmm. were not were not as accurate yeah yeah how about the question of contingency was that on your mind you know i i I was still kind of interested in the debate about God's existence. Yeah. So I think there were various forms of, I would say, arguments I still kind of found kind of interesting. But I would still say... Like, like what? I think, like, I can't remember my exact thought, but I remember being interested in, like, the ontological argument. Right, yeah. Uh, or some form of the... I think it was, like... I think I read something about the ontological argument, like Descartes' form of the ontological argument. Okay, yeah. That I remember I found kind of interesting at the time. I was still, like, skeptical of the argument, but yeah. I thought it could be true. Right, right. Yeah. Are you able to... Because to, I have not heard of, of the, it, his form of it, the argument. What, what makes this I, different? I, I, think, I think it was. I could be wrong. Okay. But it was, it was something about where we get the idea from, of perfection from. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean... I think maybe even that argument might have roots in like Aquinas or something like that. Okay, but um, the, the argument from degrees is Aquinas's. Kind Aquinas of. would have said he disagreed with the ontological argument. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but the, it, w- it would it would have been that it was something along those lines, right? right? Yeah. I can't I can't remember the precise argument. Yeah, um, yeah, but I was I can't say like I found like I was I, I would have said I was an agnostic okay. and like a real yeah. agnostic, like yeah, someone yeah, who yeah. really wasn't sure about the existence of God. Are you able to put probabilities on, like, if I, if I if someone put a gun to your head and said, yeah. "How probable is the existence of God?" At let's say a week after your deconversion, what would you have said? It uh, it would have varied, like a lot day to day. Okay, so let's say one week. Um, like one week. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think probably I would probably have been more closer to atheism a week after. Okay, and then okay. and then kind of the further I got from my deconversion, mm-hmm. I would have those questions were more up in the air. Okay, and yeah. how about the the historical claims of the New Testament? Would you have said, I, I, yeah, I think those are highly unlikely? I would have said they're highly unlikely, okay. yeah. And what, yeah. why, what, what would have liked? Was it just the question of it seeming bland, or was there something about arguments for the historicity of the resurrection in well, particular that seemed weak to you? I think, I think um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I had read some criticisms of, you know, kind of the typical kind of apologetics lines mm-hmm. of argumentation, and they've... I remember being fairly, you know, found found them fairly convincing. Typical in what sense? Well, like the, like like on the resurrection, okay. for example, like, like the a, minimal facts. Um, I mean, kind of like the Lee Strobel kind of approach. I I, I remember there was um one thing I read was like a like a talk by Richard Carrier, <laughs> yeah. where he uh, he critiqued the idea of the resurrection. Okay. And I I don't I don't think. Like obviously, I don't think Richard Carrier is like has a lot of substance to him, yeah. but I think rhetorically he can actually be somewhat, right, somewhat, right. somewhat good. Like I think he had a uh, he had a debate with William Lane Craig on the resurrection, yeah, yeah. and you know I heard people say, oh, William Lane Craig actually just dis- absolutely destroyed him. Yeah, I didn't get that impression from the debate. Like mm-hmm. I I felt like you know at least rhetorically he was fairly strong in that debate and by the way ladies richard carrier does have many girlfriends so <laughs> if you are interested you may still be interested in finding a date so yeah keep your eye out he's a real catch i've heard um but nothing long term he says he's let's not go further than that anyway um yeah that's an interesting thing because for me um regardless of what i've thought about the minimal facts approach it seems in general, uh, the arguments for New Testament historicity from the moment I discovered them um, in the form that they're presented in the case of Christ to the present day have always struck me in as far as as, as I can tell as far superior to, to the critical analyses in terms of things like, let's just say, um, the authorship of the Gospels, for example. I think the authorship of the Gospels, the case for the traditional views, always struck me as so much stronger than any kind of idea that, that these are anonymous documents. Do you have any thoughts on that at that point? Had you, or was it more on like I, the resurrection? I mean, this was all like, some. This was all somewhat new to me, right? Right. So, I think at the time I had watched like some Yale lectures on the New Testament, right? I think I know the lectures you're talking and about. And the guy with the little mustache. Yeah, he's bald guy. A bald guy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, uh, and it seemed like the majority of. I mean, what struck me was that the majority of scholars disagreed strongly with the typical kind of Christian narrative. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the. Yeah, at some point, I think, especially with the minimal facts thing, I understand that it's it's an approach, but its emphasis on facts that are granted by the majority of scholars I think creates the impression in people's mind that we should really take it seriously when the majority of scholars say one thing or the other where you know the longer that I've thought about these issues the less I care at all about what the majority of scholars say on anything and it seems to me that it has very little correlation to yeah the truth yeah of things. And, and we can get to kind of some of my thoughts I think a little bit later about what on the historical Jesus and yeah yeah the, you know this issue in have, modern have you, scholarship. Have you um, looked at that in more depth? I mean, we'll get to this when we get to it, but uh, I don't think about it. Have you looked in more depth at like these historical arguments since 
coming back or or in the process of coming back yes to a certain degree okay i mean i feel like i've a better grasp on just kind of how to read text in in general yeah yeah right so uh, this is a comment about i think a lot of scholarship and, and maybe this sounds kind of you know like who am i to criticize the majority of scholarship yeah yeah but when i read someone like plato and I look at like scholarly interpretations of Plato. Yeah, yeah. It oftentimes seems to me that they're reading him very poorly. Yeah, yeah. And that they're 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 missing a lot. Yeah. And it seems to me that's true across the board. Yeah. I so, mean, yeah, it's um, you you read these scholars, and I think when you start to have this sense, it's like, well, I must be missing something. And yeah. the longer you engage with the acad- this academic work you you come to the conclusion i don't think i am missing anything i yeah. think this really is just not good it's so i think when they're reading you know when like for example when you know someone says well jesus is just a first century jewish revolutionary right yeah He's, yeah he, um i think that's a fairly superficial reading of, yeah. of the new testament and, yeah um yeah so okay so now you've you've deconverted. You're not sure about theism. You think the historical claims in the New Testament are pretty unlikely. Um, tell us when you start moving towards theism, or is there you move towards it, you move away from it? Um, but I know you do become a theist. I think a couple of years later. Um, what 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 what's the process that leads up to that? I mean, it's. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when I began to. Like I said, I was kind of interested in, in other other religions at mm-hmm. the time. Um, so I took some time to kind of to study kind of other religions. and, mm-hmm. and uh, But I feel like I really got interested in other religions when I was 17, right? Okay. And so I felt... And that is... And you, you deconvert at what age? 15. 15, okay. So I feel like almost in a certain way, when I was 17, I started to get a sense of, you know, something spiritually more than just atheism. Like, I, I mean, I already had, was contemplating that possibility, but I really started to get a sense of that when I was 17. A sense in what sense? Like a well, that, that, intuitive sense? That, that, that religion was, was something more than just, uh, you know, an evolutionary um, mal mal maladaptation. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, I, um, I, I want to ask. Yeah, um, I'm, we're not really going to get to this topic in, in the interview, I don't think. But um, did you have strong opinions on evolution, and to what extent did those shape your thoughts on these issues? Well, there were some. There were some. Actually, that was that was a that was I would say an argument. The that evolution didn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? It seemed to make a lot of sense. Not make a lot of sense with Christianity. So I oh, think yeah, that yeah. led to... Like theistic evolution doesn't seem to work very well. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I, and you know, I don't have a strong opinion on this issue right, right now. Right. I mean, I think it would be very hard to reconcile um, like a purely like... Uh, Neo-Darwinism. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm open to the possibility that you know something more like an intelligent uh like, like a form of like intelligent design that still has common descent i'm open to right, that right, possibility right. but i'm not going to make a strong ha, like i'm not i'm not going to make a strong stance right, on, right, right. on whether what position are you right. open to the young earth possibility yeah, yeah yeah i mean i would say 
we know so little that and and I mean I don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, yeah, but no, but but some I. of my thoughts about just the nature of science and, and that type of stuff. Yeah, but, um, you know, but I would say, sorry, what were we saying? We before were. Um, it was uh, what extent did evolution shape your views on theism on Christianity at this point? Um, when I was when I was seventeen or fifteen. When you were seventeen. When I was seventeen, um, you know, I I started to. Um, you know, study evolution more, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I've read, uh, I at least read part of The Selfish Gene. There was an author okay. I read, uh, named was uh, Robert Wright, I believe. Okay. Uh, he wrote a book on, um, essentially a book he d- where he defended evolutionary psychology. And he also okay. wrote a book, actually, I re- listened to, too, which was called The Evolution of God. Okay. Which was, I mean, it wasn't like a, a ground-breaking book at all. I yeah. mean, it was just like, it kind of essentially kind of rehash the typical views about the development of religion from animism to monotheism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it kind of gave the typical, like, documentary hypothesis. Oh, uh, you talked about that, that view of Yeah, it talked about that. It presented Jesus as a Jewish zealot or something like that. An apocalyptic preacher. Yeah, yeah, but then he had this kind of weird conclusion that he said, well, maybe God does exist. And he says that because he seemed to say, well, it seems that morality is real. So <laughs> yeah. it, it was... <laughs> Why? It, yeah. Did, did he give a reason why he thought it was real? It's been a while since I read the book, but yeah, the, but he said he said he said that it seems like there was some place morality was going, right? Some place that morality was developing, I guess. He said I, that that there was a telos to humans' moral development. That's kind of the progressive arc, you know, yeah. That we're there's an arc of history towards justice, yeah. Which you know isn't false, but it's not true in the way that the well, secular progressive yeah. thinks it is. Um, so tell us more about your um, about you know what what starts leading you towards right. theism. Well, okay. so I want to say this like just because I cite an author as inspiration or or I, I found an author to be influential doesn't mean like I agree or like condone like everything the author says. Yeah, yeah. This is something you learn, and I give Jake credit having not been on the internet as long as I have. Um, or to the extent that I have, you, you learn pretty quickly that you have to put all these disclaimers in or rumors will start circulating that you're a neoconservative, um, also an isolationist, um, a cultist who is who hates Harry Potter, um, if you don't make these disclaimers. Yeah. So, okay. good idea. So, don't uh, tell us more about so that. So, I, th- I think when I was actually, so actually, um, like my timeline is so 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 actually when I was around sixteen I started getting into uh, I think Freud and I got okay, in, and yeah. then I also got into, I also got into Carl Jung the Freudian right an occultist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um who is it I also got into Joseph Campbell right right yeah so in some ways these were kind of reintroductions I mean Jung and Campbell were to religion and that religion was something more than just you know a belief in the afterlife. Or, right, right. or a belief, you know, that people have so that they don't go to hell, right? Yeah, yeah. That there was something more... Well, I guess with Jung, it's, there was something psychologically important about religion. And were you reading Jung himself, or were you reading books about Jung, or both? Uh, both, yeah. Okay. I mean, I read a few books by Jung, and... This is when you were 17. This was when I was 16. Near, I was nearing 17 at that point. Now, you know, if I remember correctly, there was a point in time where you suddenly, you really started just reading voraciously I whereas think, before I, you really at least to my knowledge you really hadn't been well 
Uh, that was around 16. Okay, because I remember being really struck and impressed by the, the apparent transformation in yeah. terms of the number and the quality of books you were digesting. Yeah. So, so that was around 16, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what was it? Was, did you make a conscious decision to start reading all this stuff? Or I, was it just you became interested? I just became interested. You, 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 um, you were unschooling at or, this Yeah, point. or like yeah. homeschooled, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. self-directed education. Uh, self-directed, yeah, we're, yeah. We're not hippies, but... It, kind of know. a self-directed where, you know, kind of my curriculum was just kind of reading a lot of books. Yeah. And uh, I think really when I was... Kind of after my deconversion, I had taken a little bit of a departure from kind of philosophy. Right. where I'd been kind of more interested in. And I, I started reading more science and things mm -hmm. like that. But I felt more like... Physics, biology. Yeah, kind of biology okay. and some physics and, and things like that. But I felt like through Jan, I kind of came back to an interest in philosophy. Okay. Right? Uh, or into these, I guess you could say, broader kind of metaphysical kind of questions. Yeah. Now, when you were... When, you, when naturalism was on the table, did you ever feel any of that fear that some people describe of just the blackness of nihilism did that ever strike you or was that not really a thing in your mind yeah i, I would say it struck me at times yeah I, um i mean it, it it struck me you know shortly after my deconversion right that yeah. there, there were parts of me that 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 wondered right you know is this all without meaning yeah yeah um i mean there were times when i felt like very close to atheism like yeah. um and you know felt like kind of okay with that mm. but there were times when i didn't right didn't feel okay with it i didn't feel okay with yeah, it. yeah yeah and would you just say you know that's a change in mood or what were you were you thinking of reasons why atheism might be okay what what, what was that i mean i think it was both probably okay like like i think yeah i yeah i would say it was both yeah i now, now, I do want to ask you the question because I remember noticing that you you were you kept wearing your cross. Yeah. Why? Uh, I don't know. I'm superstitious, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you didn't want to upset God if he if he or as Bill O'Reilly said, you're throwing in with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I got to, I think if I and this is going to be a little jumping ahead, right? Yeah. I think I pro if someone would have asked me, I wouldn't have said, well, you know, the cross still has symbolism, whether you accept, right? Yeah. You know, Jesus or not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, you, you're, you're reading Young, you're reading Freud. I'm or reading Campbell. You're reading just, Campbell. You're, yeah. getting, you're, you're, yeah. you're asking these kind of philosophical questions again. Yeah. Um, Where do you go from here? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's hard kind of looking back and tracing the progression i think with with young were you, were you ever did you ever pray at this point i'm sure i did do you I, remember i, I can't rem I, I i think i started praying more when i was like 17 or when i actually made a formal conversion to theism okay but were I, there ever any like god if you're out there oh yeah no, i actually actually I, I do remember praying a few times yeah with that kind of if you're out there would you please put up or shut up kind of things i think it was more just like asking for help for something you know yeah 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 um so tell us then about the movement towards theism yeah well like i said i i had kind of rediscovered kind of religious symbolism through 
Young and through Campbell. And it was a new perspective, right? I'd never really thought in those those kind of terms before, yeah. right? Of of what's the symbolic structure behind religion? Yeah. Um, I think just in terms of arguments, when I was seventeen, I felt at times like you know maybe naturalism is true, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but I think one argument that kind of started to lead me to theism was the argument from morality. From objective morality okay yeah and it seemed to me my thought was is that it's hard to maintain objective morality without objective meaning right mm-hmm. because it's very hard to say that there are oughts if there's no end right like, if there's no ultimate end it just seems all our actions are without end as in goal in goal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like in an aristotelian sense yeah yeah um it it seemed to me that you know it would just render all you know action meaningless now that that itself didn't necessarily i mean i said that that seemed to be an argument for objective meaning mm-hmm. not necessarily theism because i mean i guess i guess i because you could say like for example i mean it's a little complicated but you could say buddhism is kind of an atheistic religion right or at least certain forms of buddhism are yeah and it seems there's still an objective end why why what what was it that because that reality was very acute to me when i was going through my crisis of faith but it wasn't really an argument for the existence of god so much as it was an argument for the non-existence of objective morality well why why did it not function that way for you it seems like if you if you don't accept a sort of transcendent source of morality or you don't accept objective meaning or whatever yeah uh or I guess where am I going? Um, it seems like what you have to fall back on is that essentially we're self-interested individuals who, in our self-interest, develop forms of morality, right? Right. Yeah. So essentially, the social contract, right? Yeah. Um, my question is why? Well, I mean, maybe well, maybe the world just sucks. Yeah. No. No. Your... No. Um, it's so. I think. Um, the 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 thing that is it's like it seems that there are certain actions which you could say are so perverse mm-hmm. right that it doesn't seem to be that it's just a violation mm-hmm. of a social contract right? that there's an immediate kind of knowledge of the evil of certain actions. yeah and like there's an immediate knowledge of certain basic yeah aspects. yeah and it's like it's like I couldn't bring myself to disbelieve right in that yeah right? yeah so it seemed that morality had to exist in some sense, or at least that was the conclusion. But I, I was unwilling to do away with morality. And I want to make a distinction yeah. for the listeners here: is the difference between um, it's it's not about um, unwilling to disbelieve in you know the uh, objective heinousness of rape uh, because you know I really want to believe otherwise. More, it's it seems well, like an immediately present reality. It's it's, um, a, it's something that's just kind of part of the inbuilt programming. Yeah. So, so I guess like the argument that like like you can explain, for example, like how morality would develop under natural selection, right? Yeah, you can yeah. explain that, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't seem to explain necessarily. Where am I going? Um, you 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 can't. That still doesn't get to you. To you should you should be ought. Yeah. Be ought. yeah, yeah. And it also seems to me that it doesn't seem to still make sense about why we find certain actions so repulsive, right? right. Yeah. Like, 
like, rape, yeah, child, like or, or, or like the whole, you know, the Holocaust or something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that when you become a theist? No, I mean, I would say I found that argument interesting, and I felt it w- it was leading me towards a, a belief in some sort of objective meaning to okay. reality. Okay. I think my progression to theism is so I would say it's it, it's was also conversion to idealism philosophical idealism yeah, yeah. so would you have called it idealism at that point? i would have called it idealism okay. i mean i hadn't like studied the idealists a lot but i had this thought which is so let's take a chair for example right yeah so like the typical explanation is that the chair is a representation of a chair that's outside of consciousness yeah right, right. but it seems if i strip all the conscious qualities of a chair yeah. Do I still have a chair? Right, right. And so if if I'm saying, well, then it seems like if I want to say that there's a chair outside of my consciousness. Yeah. Well, the chair has, has it seems like the chair has no relation. The chair outside of consciousness has no relation to the chair inside of consciousness. Right. Yeah, right. So why do we even postulate a chair outside consciousness? Yeah, you know? yeah. And so that, that, so that would be, it's just for my listeners, think about, um, take the chair and what do you have? You've got these... Philosophers would call qualia the qualitative yep. experiences. It's got a particular color. It's got a particular shape. Um, it ha- when you feel it, it has uh, a certain sense. Uh, you could lick it if you're a weirdo. It's going to have a certain taste. Um, it's going to have these qualitative um, uh, senses to it, and it's also going to have a physical structure. But when you ask, well, what does that mean, physical structure? You're going to get down to certain mathematical descriptions in terms of at bottom quantum mechanics or at the larger level in terms of gravitation what are those those are mathematical equations these are abstractions these are ideas and whether we're talking about qualia or we're talking about these mathematical equations which undergird the physical reality of the chair in both cases we're talking about things which are in consciousness or in the mind um so we don't have anything left or the very i mean or the very idea of a chair which is something you sit in right which is what a chair really is yeah the form of the chair yeah so we're, we're, we're dealing with um, mathematical abstractions, formal abstractions, or qualitative experience. Is, is that a, yeah. a fair representation of what you're yeah. saying? Well, it, it, it didn't seem to make sense to talk of a world outside of consciousness because and, the world outside of consciousness didn't seem to have any similarity of the, to the world that we live in, right? It, and and um, could you point to any particular author in, in I, showing I, you idealism? I, I don't think it was a particular author, really. really. It was just kind of just kind of a thought I had. But you would have called it idealism. I would have, I mean, I had heard the term before that this idea that all reality is kind of nested in consciousness. And this is your, how old are you at this point? I was 17. Okay, so that's good. So one thing I've discovered talking with Jake is that um, we've had, you know, a lot of the same conclusions and a lot of the tra- parallel trajectories of thought, even in areas where, you know, we, because I, I thought about idealism and, and, and conceived of the world in these terms, I think several years later. Um, and I actually didn't know before just now that it went back for him so long, which I think is interesting and speaks to divine providence. But um, speak to the uh, uh, role that that had in leading you to theism. I, I think at, at that level, it doesn't seem to be that much more of a step to say right. like theism. I mean, I guess idealism itself doesn't necessarily... Um, doesn't necessarily entail theism or, yeah. or kind of a classical theistic kind of um, kind of portrayal of the world, mm-hmm. 
but it, it just felt like kind of the trajectory I was moving towards. Um, like things were falling into place. Yeah, that that it just seemed to make sense, right? That yeah. that that we could talk about a sort of a, you could say a cosmic mind or a sort of you know ultimate mind, which yeah. which which held all things together within its within its mind. Were there any other philosophical arguments for the existence of God that you had looked at yeah, I, in a serious I, way or yeah. in a semi-serious way? I think way? a few like a month later or something. I read like a, a month later from what from 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 that that realization about where, idealism. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it, that realization about idealism is there. Was it a very distinct moment for you when you? came when you because there are certain moments for me when a thought occurs to me and that thought then kind of you look back on it and you see it growing into all this other stuff is that is that the kind of thing it was um or is it just you can't pinpoint exactly when it became perfectly clear when i kind of remember like i i don't remember like exact but i remember just having the thought one day and just you know because i mean for me I remember um, in 2000, around the time you were deconverting, actually, um, I have two very distinct experiences that I remember in my mind. I remember everything about my surroundings. The first one was the realization of the hard problem of consciousness, which actually, you know, I'd never actually encountered the form of the hard problem of consciousness. I didn't even realize it was a problem. Um, But then I I was just thinking, why, about basically what philosophers call the zombie problem in that I could describe a materialist brain comprehensively and that still wouldn't explain why it's superimposed upon that is this layer of qualitative experience. And I realized, um, I didn't have terms for it at the point, but I realized there's something that, that is not material here in conventional terms. And then another, the other instance is the realization of the nature of necessity and the uh, fact that the world is contingent and that the argument for contingency seems to be a very powerful argument for the existence of God. Um, so, you, your idealism yeah. was it like that to some degree? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was. I mean, it, it happened very fast. I mean, it was almost like it was like I knew it to be true, kind of. Right. It was. Yeah. I mean, um, and then I mean, your, I, I, sorry, you, the, the sense of epiphany, by yeah. the way, is something I want to make a video on because epiphany can be something which is wonderful but it can also be an intoxicating experience in that you can have an epiphany and the sense that things are falling into place can be so powerful that it will lock you out of ever considering that you might have been wrong um when you deconverted was there a similar sense of epiphany like like i realized that christianity could be wrong yeah or that it was wrong would you i mean it felt to me like this kind of this belief in idealism was a much deeper sense of epiphany yeah yeah right it, it almost felt like it was so obvious i couldn't i couldn't turn back I mean, yeah, it was yeah. it was it was a type of argument i think like for example anselm's trying to get at with the ontological argument right which is this sorry this, sorry could you repeat you know anselm you know yeah, yeah. um you know with his ontological argument yeah it seems to what, what he's trying to do in that argument is is, is he wants to create an argument for god to where once you see it, you can't unsee it in that way. Right, right. And that's what it felt like to me with this this argument for idealism. Yeah. And I can't say, like, you know, maybe this is my own fault or whatever, but I can't say I ever really, like, doubted after that point idealism. Idealism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, um, just I'm speaking strictly for myself, people, by the way, but for me, um, it has honestly been the same thing with, and I don't want to create too much of a stir here. I know it's a, a touchy subject, so... Don't be touchy about it. Um, for the young earth thing, I mean, 
honestly, and it's it's bizarre thinking about it, but that is probably the thing about which I've had the least <laughs> doubts um, because because I feel so assured that the process by which I came to that conclusion was a careful process, not something I just desperately grasped after. Um, so I think I understand what you mean. So idealism, um, what's the road to theism from there? Well, I guess... Or um, is that the road? Well, is that theism? I mean, this was... this was. I mean, at that point, I, I, I was basically a theist. I mean, at, at the time, I, you know, been studying religion. Like, like mm-hmm. I had found the works of... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but uh, Mircea Eliadi, okay. who was like a Romanian kind of historian and scholar of religion. Is he well-known? Yeah, he's okay. fairly well-known. I mean, he was, he's, he's, he's somewhat associated with like the traditionalist kind of. Like Evola? Yeah, like he, I think he wrote letters to Evola. He also re- wrote letters to Jan. And okay. I, I think he also, he might've known René Guan or whatever, but, okay. but they, um. And this is when you're 17? This is. I started getting 18. into work when I, I think I read. I started reading his history of religion when I was seventeen. Yeah, Jake. Jake is is more broadly read than I. I, have, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. It, no, it, more broad. I'm not going to say there are certain subjects about which I'm more deeply read, but yeah. but Jake has a, has a greater breadth of, okay. of of reading than me. So, uh, but but around this time, I mean, even before like my conversion to theism, and hopefully I won't be misunderstood here when I say this. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never I was never saying prayers to Satan. I was never like invoking demons like before your conversion yeah yeah I, but I, what I'm, I mean I started to get kind of an interest you could say in kind of broadly speaking kind of western esotericism right okay so like kind of the Hellenistic kind of philosophies and and like uh, Neoplatonism and things like that okay and did you were you just out of curiosity were you were you concerned was there any fear over because there is a you know some people say look at this stuff and say or an enchanted view of the world oh this is devilish or was there any any kind of latent concern over that or not? I mean, uh, a little bit, yeah. But I think I think looking at some of the arguments I read online by, by yeah. certain Christians, they seem so silly, <laughs> and then yeah. to be such a, kind of a misunderstanding. Yeah. That yeah. that I mean, they kind of looked. I mean, the arguments kind of looked kind of foolish. Like yeah, to be yeah. honest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but but I mean I wasn't like I mean I wasn't like interested in like you know doing magical rituals to get a lot of money or yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. interested in like contacting like spirit guides yeah, yeah. or something like that. I mean I think I you know I would have still had a sort of suspicion about those types of things. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so you're now a theist. I, I, yeah. Or... Well, I, you know, shortly after you know my realization about idealism, I found again. I'm going to mention someone who's a little controversial, David Bentley Hart. Uh, again, I'm not... <laughs> he, he was all right. I mean, yeah. he was better back then, by the way. And but but uh, I read his book, uh, Experience, Experience of God, God yeah, yeah. and I thought that was was, was very good. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I thought the arguments were fairly fairly strong. Mm-hmm. And um, Against atheism? Against atheism. Yeah. I mean, he articulates the argument for contingency, which I... I, I feel i felt at the time and i still feel that it's it's one of the strongest arguments for the existence yeah, of god yeah um so with david bentley hart yeah i mean i i felt like at that point i could say i'm a theist um and, and a theist um uh, you would say in the sense of god not not just as beyond good and evil not just as kind of the cosmic watchmaker but as um as someone who is the ground of our morality you would say yeah he's a grunt i mean i would say i would say you know you could again my my vision of reality wasn't too clear right Mm -hmm. 
but in some sense he is he, we could say the end was was a sort of mysticism or a sort of contemplation of god mm -hmm. right and would you say I've, that he had a special interest at, in human beings at this point you know i i had i think i would have had trouble kind of articulating a vision of god exactly yeah um like a, i think i would have said something like you know uh in him we have we move and have our being something right, like right. that but uh did he take interest in individuals I, I don't i don't think i would have said a definite yes mm -hmm. right that he like but i wouldn't have set, made a definite no either right because i yeah. i would have because you know i began to have a sort of interest you know kind of in mysticism or things like that right mm -hmm. um now did, were you cog had you become cognizant that there were maybe more satisfying versions or interpretations of christianity out oh there. oh yeah i would i would say this all kind of you know with my interest you could say broadly you could say in the western mystical tradition or or whatever was a rediscovery of kind of christian mysticism or kind of christian visions of so so i i started to go and kind of understand kind of christianity more from the outside yeah yeah then then really i had a almost a better grasp of it than i did from the inside so with, at this point in time, would you say that you, did you have any, any questions maybe? Maybe Christianity is, has something to it? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess what I started to move to was, um, and this, again, this is not necessarily um, a unified school of thought, but some form of perennialism. Right. Right. So it seemed to me, like even David Bentley Hart's kind of book seems to kind of play with that idea a bit. Yeah, yeah that there seems to be some sort of common experience of god yeah and yeah. so i thought well maybe you know these religions kind of differ kind of in their esoteric form but they, yeah. that, that they have some unity. Exoteric? you know kind of their outer form yeah, yeah they exoteric differ form, yeah but uh they um they have an inner unity they have an inner unity yeah. right and they're mystical um and did you have any where did you start to wonder and I mean, you don't have to say yes. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Did you start to wonder about? Well, maybe Jesus. Maybe there's a possibility that Jesus is more than, you know, just some guy. Maybe there's a possibility that the resurrection has something to it. Or no, were you were you not really, or were you just not thinking about it? I would say, I mean, it probably depended on the day, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there were part there were parts of me that wondered, right? Yeah. Um, but. I guess there were parts of me that I wasn't thinking about it. I think what I felt like at the time, um, and I don't think I was entirely wrong, mm -hmm. was that as I studied religion more, there seemed to be something, there did seem to be some real commonalities. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard one Christian apologist say, um, you know, religions only agree in superficial matters yeah that's i mean that's but but, crap. but disagree and and but disagree on essential matters yeah. right and you know from studying religions it didn't seem that was the case right yeah. it seemed that in some sense you could say that there was a sort of universal symbolism yeah yeah um yeah i mean i'm gonna make a, a video on the concept of paganism and why it's so toxic to our view of um, of the world because when we think about paganism as a category we end up categorizing all of this material that actually belongs to a divine deposit of revelation that in my view comes from uh, Adam through Noah um, that then gets uh, corrupted in certain respects 
but there remains this universal grammar as Jake said there remains this core structure which is discernible even despite those corruptions and there remain certain developments in wisdom that occur outside of the scope of specifically the Abrahamic covenant because if we're thinking from a biblical and historical point of view we have to remember that the nations exist concretely in covenant with God the Noahic covenant is not some abstract covenant which never happened historically it's something very concrete and the nations existed and built sacrificial altars and built temples in relation to that Noahic covenant um, so I'm not speaking for Jake here I'm speaking for myself but we are going to talk about that um, in a video so you are a theist at this point yeah I was a theist and I would have said uh, I was kind of you know I kind of had sort of a perennialist kind of conception um, you know I was very interested in kind of the world's mystical traditions and and it felt like there was you know there was real meaning to the world right but yeah so um, I'm gonna wrap up our part one on that video it feels like now that you've arrived at theism it's a good place to stop um, I don't know how many parts this will end up being um, but the part which describes the journey you know all the way to Christianity will be public because I think it's it's a very illuminating illuminating and insightful interview um, and the final part I think which we'll get into maybe some specific questions um, will be uh, premium uh, content um, so uh, if you have not uh, become a patron uh, please do consider it if you are financially able but if you are not and if you are a patron please do remember me and Jake uh, in your prayers that's the most important service you can give and with that said we will see you tomorrow or maybe I'll upload it the day after um, with part two of this interview thank you very much